Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Welcome to Cokesbury United Methodist Church here in the beautiful heart of Woodbridge, Virginia. My name is Taylor Mertens and I serve as the pastor here at Cokesbury. And I'm grateful that you are with us this Sunday morning for worship to hear what God has to say to us today about who we are and perhaps more importantly, whose we are. We've been going through a sermon series here for the summer on Jesus's parables of the kingdom. Today, we're returning to Jesus's explanation of the parable of the weeds and the wheat. So I hope you're looking forward to hearing what God has to say today. Many of you are no doubt aware that Virginia is phasing back into somewhat normalcy, though it's anyone's guess whether things will ever feel normal. Again, we here at the church are still discerning uh, what time would be most appropriate to opening the church to begin for in-person worship. It will not be happening in the short term. It, uh, we want to make sure that we're doing our due diligence to keep everyone as safe, uh, as healthy, and uh, allowing our worship to be faithful during this time. So uh, continue to look for announcements through our Facebook page, uh, or any other our website to find out when we will be reopening and we will try to do our best to make sure the congregation is as well aware as possible. However, we will continue to do online worship even once we do reopen, recognizing that there are some for whom they cannot come, they should not come, or they live far enough away that they, they wouldn't be able to do so. So we will continue to do this no matter what happens in the not too distant future. Uh, we are currently exploring what it might look like to have a, a drive-in sort of worship experience on a Sunday here in our parking lot where people would be allowed to park the cars all aimed in one direction, keeping them distant from each other. No one would be allowed out of their car, but it would be a way for us to see one another through our cars. I would set up a sound system outside. I could talk through the microphone with uh, car windows down. Uh, uh, we'd also have somewhat of an offering and then also uh, communion. That's something we've heard from a lot of people that they are missing. This is a time that we're sort of yearning for it. They have perfectly healthy and sterilized ways to do communion uh, that we could uh, give to everyone on their way out. So we're looking into that. If coming for a drive-in worship experience is something that you would uh, be interested in, please let me know. You can write about it in the comments, whether you're with us on Facebook or on YouTube, so that we know whether that's something the community of faith would really enjoy. We're continuing to offer different things here at the church in terms of devotionals during the week, uh, Facebook Live videos, all that sort of stuff. So check out our different uh, ways of communication through social media to find out more about what's going on. 
one final announcement, and that is uh, my plans for uh, sermon series after August, let's say the fall, September, basically through November, have kind of been thrown for a loop because of not being in person. I heavily rely on the comments that I received from people back in the days when we would gather in person for worship about what people wanted to hear about. I'd say 90% of the time, the comments I would hear on Sunday morning were some version of, thanks, pastor, the weather's really nice today, isn't it? Or, thanks, pastor, the weather's pretty crummy today, isn't it? Every once in a while, you get a really, really good one, like, gosh, you know what? I, I heard the Lord speak through you to me today. That's the best compliment a pastor can ever hear. And every once in a while, you hear a, I need you to know, I disagreed with every single thing you said from the pulpit today. Those are fun ones because it means I'm hitting a nerve to some degree. Uh, so what I'm asking for is ideas of things you would like to hear about in worship, uh, whether it's through a sermon or maybe through a Bible study even, if that's something you're interested in. I want to know what it is you're hungry for, what you're yearning for, what you want to hear. Perhaps it's a, an idea you have for a, a series of things that I could address or a particular scripture or set of scriptures you've never heard talked about in church before. I, whatever your idea is, send it my way. I want to use... Uh, this weird version of communication to help respond to what uh, you're hungry for. So feel free to write it in the comments on Facebook or on YouTube. Send me an email, revtaylormertens at gmail.com. You can email the church, cokesburyumc at gmail.com. Just write to us, and I will uh, put some of those ideas together, and depending on what you write in, if you write something in, I might preach on that subject. So there you go. Send them to me, and we'll put something together. Now, Without further ado, let's uh, make ourselves comfortable as much as we're possible and continue to go to the Lord in silence for a moment. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful, wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Let us pray. Lord, humble us so that we might be capable of hearing your word. Rid us of all of our distractions that are vying for our allegiance such that we can turn our hearts and our minds to you. In the midst of confusion, give us clarity. In the midst of suffering, give us peace. In the midst of fear, give us comfort. For those of us with less days ahead than behind, give us gratitude. But above all, Lord, pour out your Holy Spirit on us again, that we may truly thank you for the gift of yourself in the scriptures. For Lord, we rejoice in the complexity of your word. It reminds us that life is not just one thing after another. Life, after all, is a gift from you. Now, O Lord, each of us will lift up to you our own joys and concerns in silence today, whether we keep them silent or we speak them aloud. And now, Lord, we pray as your Son taught us, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, 
but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Our scripture lesson today comes from the gospel according to Matthew in the 13th chapter, verses 34 through 43. I will be reading from the New Revised Standard Version. If you'd like to follow along, there's an online bulletin that's been made available to you. You can find it with one of the links in the video description. It has our scriptures, hymns, all that sort of stuff. So if that's helpful, please feel free to pull it up. Otherwise, hear now the word of the Lord. Jesus told the crowds all these things in parables, and without a parable, he told them nothing. This was to fulfill what had been spoken through the prophet. I will open my mouth to speak in parables. I will proclaim what has been hidden from the foundation of the world. Then he left the crowds, and he went to a house. And his disciples approached him, saying, Explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. He answered, The one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world. And the good seed are his children in the kingdom. The weeds are the children of the evil one. And the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are collected and burned up with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will collect out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all evildoers. They will throw them into the furnace of fire, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. Let anyone with ears listen. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Our hymn today is number 369 in the United Methodist Hymnal, Blessed Assurance. This is my story. This is my song. Uh, we are blessed this week to have uh, Gloria Baltimore joining us on the piano. She and I recorded uh, this hymn on the drums on the piano earlier in the week. So join us over at the piano and the drums. We're going to be singing Blessed Assurance. It's number 369 in our hymnal. And as I said before, the lyrics for this are on the online bulletin, Is that if that is helpful. So... This is my story, this is my song.
the Son of Man will send his angels, and they will collect out of his kingdom all causes of sin, all evildoers, and they will throw them into the furnace of fire. Would you please pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Contrary to how we often talk about or even display Jesus, he was a pretty feisty guy, sure. He sat with the crowds and he multiplied the loaves and the fishes. He calmed the storm when the disciples were cowering in fear. He cured the sick, elevated the marginalized. He sought out the last, the least, the lost, the little, and the dead. But that doesn't negate how contentious he often was. In the Gospels, they, they paint this picture of Jesus, this Messiah man, such that we can see how he was eventually done in by all the hostility that surrounded him. It's all good and well, Jesus, that you fed the crowds, but why didn't you rain down a little manna from heaven for the rest of us? Thanks for calming that storm out on the sea, Jesus. Appreciate it. But what about all the other hurricanes? What about all the other typhoons? Hey, Jesus, um, I'm all about making the last first, but if I'm in a position of power right now, you're not, you're not going to take it away from me, are you, Jesus? That's amazing take a step back every once in a while from the strange new world of the Bible and to think about how enthusiastic the crowds were for Jesus. Free meals notwithstanding. The parables, the things we've been focusing on here at Cokesbury for the last few weeks, they're downright confounding. They're anything but clear and they don't paint the prettiest picture of the kingdom. And apparently that wasn't anything new, at least according to the Lord. Matthew tells us that Jesus spoke in parables, and without a parable, he told them nothing. He adds this little line that this was to fulfill what had been spoken through the prophet. I will open my mouth to speak in parables. I will proclaim what was hidden from the foundation of the world. And this is how the Lord works in mysterious, confusing, scratch-your-head kind of ways with stories about a sower scattering seeds, a father who throws a party for his prodigal wayward son, a field filled with weeds and with wheat. All the parables, whether they're stories about grace or judgment, they all point to God's strange proclamation that the kingdom is already here. It exists under the banners of both judgment and grace. The kingdom is not something off in the distant future that we have to wait for or even work for. Rather, it is among us right here and now in the very present moment. It has been with us mysteriously since the foundation of the world. Of course, the mystery of the kingdom throughout history is the whole point. You know, from the garden with Adam and Eve, the kingdom, it has been hidden and only signs of it have broken through. You know, the people, Israel, Jesus, the church, it has only been hidden not absent. It is not yet to come. It is right here with us now in strange and mysterious ways, which leads us bewilderingly enough back to the parable of the weeds and the wheat. A brief a refresher. A man, he plants some good seeds in his field, but one night while everyone is sleeping, dreaming of you know, sugar plums dancing in their heads, an enemy comes and plants weeds among the wheat. When the plants begin to grow, the servants of the man notice all the weeds and they say, hey, um, you want us to get rid of all those weeds? But the man says, no, if you take out the weeds, you're going to ruin the wheat. Just wait for the harvest and we'll sort it out later. 
Now that story, it didn't sit very well with the disciples and perhaps doesn't sit well even with some of us today. So only after leaving the crowds, only after retiring to the house did the disciples pick up their previous and unending line of inquiry. Lord, they say, you've got some explaining to do. Tell us what the parable of the weeds really means. Fine, Jesus seems to say. The story I told wasn't good enough, huh? Well, how about I explain every single little detail so it loses all of its excitement and you can finally just rest easy. But I'm going to warn you, the more you know, the more you know. And you might not like what you find out. Okay, Jesus begins. Check it out. I'm the guy sowing all the good seeds. The field, the whole cosmos. The good seeds, people in the kingdom. The weeds, they're from the evil one. And the evil one, he's... He's evil. The harvest is the end of the age. The harvesters are the angels. I'm going to send out the angels, and they're going to collect out of the kingdom all of the stumbling blocks, all of the indwellers with sin, and they're going to throw them into the furnace of fire. And then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom. Did you get it? Did you write it all down? Are you happy with the explanation I gave you, oh, disciples of mine? Are we happy with that explanation? I mean, maybe we are. We're pretty decent people after all. Heck, we're, we're watch, watching a, a worship video on Sunday morning on our computers or on our televisions or on our phones or our iPads. We're not terribly worried about being considered among the weeds. And frankly, we know some disreputable types who probably would do well to spend some time in the furnace of fire, if you know what I mean. Maybe this doesn't sit very well with us. Maybe we know in our heart of hearts that we're not as good as other people think we are. And that if we were to honestly identify ourselves in this parable, we have far more in common with the weeds than we do with the wheat. Does that mean that Jesus is going to send his angels and toss us into the fiery abyss? It's notable that having listened to the Lord wax lyrical for an afternoon about sowers and wheat fields and mustard seeds and, and yeast, the disciples gather in the house with Jesus and they demand to have the parable of the weeds explained to them. Of all of the things they heard, that's what they wanted unpacked. And even the way that they, they framed their inquiry, they've managed to turn his parable into something else. There's no mention on their part of the divine farmer who delights in letting things grow together. No question about the farmer and where he sows these good seeds. They don't even ask about the servants and the servants' response to what's happening in the field. All the disciples heard was a story about weeds. Jesus delighted in giving his disciples a tale about the confounding relationship between good and evil from the vantage point of the Lord but all they heard, all they received was this pigeonholed story about evil and only evil. You know, maybe, maybe we should give the disciples some credit. Rather than slinking down in their seats, pretending to know exactly what was going on, they had the gall to raise their hands with a, uh, excuse me, Jesus, I don't understand. You know, I like to imagine that when questioned about his parabolic utterances, Jesus responded first to the disciples by saying, yeah, it's clear. You don't understand. But that's not in Scripture, sadly. What is in Scripture, on the other hand, is Jesus' apparent, apparent willingness to unpack all that he had already laid before them 
one detail after another. It's because they were struggling. Even today, we're like those disciples, we're still struggling. We don't understand the church's relationship to the world. We don't understand the complex relationship between good and evil. We don't understand what it means to be a weed any more than we understand what it means to be a weed. And if, it's a very big if, if we ever do start to see behind the curtain, if things start to fall into place, it's a journey toward understanding and never an end in itself. But it is a gift to be on that journey because the parables of the kingdom, they make it rather clear that heaven, the kingdom of heaven is not up there somewhere. It's a kingdom that creates time and takes up space right now. Jesus speaks through these strange and wild and wonderful stories so that we, those who receive them, we might be for the world the reality of those stories today. And sometimes we forget that in Jesus we get to see and hear what countless people had longed for centuries to see and to hear. The Lord made flesh, dwelling among us, telling stories about what reality is really Yet, the reality of Jesus' explanation, it still hangs right in front of us, this dreaded, fiery catastrophe for those whom the harvesters gather together. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, Jesus says, so will it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all stumbling blocks and all doers of iniquity. Throw them into the fiery furnace. That is what God will do. The new Jerusalem, the supper of the Lamb, it would be pretty weak and pretty terrible maybe if the Lord allowed such stumbling blocks, such iniquity to remain. Evil will be dealt with. It will be vanquished forever and ever and ever. The disciples, like us, they can't help but assume that that's their job right then and now. Lord, you know, forget the angels dividing up the weeds and the wheat. We can do that right now. Just give us a list of all the unforgivable sins and we'll go out and, Lord, we will sort them out for you right now. And as I've said before, we've done that work since the beginning of time. We're still doing it today. We are quick to find a sin, whatever sin we want, and we hold it over one another as a sign of someone's outsideness versus our insideness. We fight to have the Ten Commandments put up in courthouses. We keep locking people up for every crime committed under the sun. We keep putting people on death row. And what have we got to show for it? Is the world a better place? Jesus says in his explanation of his parable that the work doesn't belong to us. It's up to him. And for that, we should be remarkably grateful because not a one of us would cut it as a wheat in the kingdom of heaven. No one is righteous. No, not one, to steal an expression from St. Paul. There is only one who has lived a life without sin, and he became sin in order that we might be freed from it. He went ahead. He nailed every last one of our sins to the cross and left them there, past, present, future. He forgave us from the cross for the very worst sin of all, our desire to kill God. Whether, like, whether we like to admit it or not, we're the weeds. We probably deserve the furnace. Now, I know 
I know that sounds a little too fire and brimstone, particularly for those of us who are Methodists. After all, we have open hearts, open minds, open doors, even if everything in our life screams the contrary. But we can't ignore Jesus's explanation of the parable. I mean, like the disciples, we kind of asked for it. And the angels will throw them into the furnace of fire, and then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. Let anyone with ears listen. The furnace of fire. That's a rather interesting image that Jesus chooses in his explanation here. And it's interesting if you look it up, the word furnace, it actually doesn't occur in scripture all that much. In fact, it's exceedingly rare. Jesus uses it here. He will use it again seven verses from now. It shows up unsurprisingly in the book of Revelation. But there's one other very, very notable use of the word furnace in the Bible. And it's all the way back in Daniel chapter 3. So come with me on a little abbreviated trip down Old Testament memory lane. The people Israel, they're living in exile in Babylon. They've been taken out of the promised land. King Nebuchadnezzar of the Babylonians, he catches word that three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're refusing to worship the Babylonian gods. And the king orders them to be thrown into the furnace of fire. Where a miracle of miracles, nothing happens to them. Moreover, when Nebuchadnezzar looks inside, he sees a fourth mysterious figure there inside the furnace of fire with the three men. So Nebuchadnezzar orders them to be removed from the fiery furnace, and he blesses the God of Israel. He blesses the God of the men who were choosing not to worship his own gods because they were worshiping the one God. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, they are delivered from the furnace of fire, and they stand as the righteous in a land of iniquity. You know, it doesn't take a lot of imagination to picture them glowing from their fiery ordeal, standing as a testament to the power of the Lord who works for salvation. Jesus says that the weeds will be tossed into the furnace of fire, and then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of the Lord. Father, forgive them for they know not what they're doing. It's Jesus' final words from the cross. Forgive them, not forgive you or him. Forgive them. In the end, the kingdom of heaven is populated entirely and only by forgiven sinners. That is, all of us. Hell, whatever it may be, it exists only as a courtesy for those who don't want any part of forgiveness. The fire, it is a refining one. It comes at the end of the age. It will burn away all the stumbling blocks to the kingdom. It will burn away all iniquity. And the only thing left will be forgiven sinners. Nothing more, nothing less, nothing else. So I offer this to you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. One God now and forever. Let us pray. Lord, draw us to your beauty so that our lives will glow with reverence for you. We confess that too often, if we glow at all, we are hot with hatred and anger. We cannot will our lives free of these powers, so we ask that you send us faithful friends 
to transform our hatred and our anger into love and into mercy. We rejoice, O Lord, in the good news that is your Son who comes to take away the sins of the world, even ours. Make us bold in the knowledge of that news. Make us refined by your fire that we might glow here, now, and forever. All God's people say, Amen. God gathers us even in a strange way. God speaks God's word and we respond to what God has said. We respond with the giving of ourselves, our time, our efforts, our gifts, but we also respond with the giving of our financial gifts, with our tithes and our offerings. I encourage you to give with glad and generous hearts to Cokesbury United Methodist Church. You can do so by making an online donation. The link for doing so is in the description of the video, whether you're on Facebook or YouTube. You can send a check through the mail to the church, or you can drop off your offering here. We have a drop slot by our main office doors. But give. Give with glad and generous hearts that we might continue to do the work of the Lord, the work of the kingdom here in Woodbridge, but also now, of course, across the world. Give. Give as you feel led. We also respond to what God has said here at Cokesbury by affirming our faith using the Apostles' Creed. If you don't know it, you can find it on the bulletin. Otherwise, join me in affirming our faith. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried, the third day he rose from the dead, he ascended into heaven, and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Each week that we've been in this time of not having in-person worship. I've also been trying to think about uh, different and imaginative ways for us to respond during the week to what God has said on Sunday. Uh, and this week I offer to you a reality check, a reality check. I did a funeral a long time ago for an older woman and during her service, uh, people stood up to talk about how amazing she was, how she was always caring for people, how she was this paragon of virtue. We heard from her grandchildren, her children, her co-workers, her neighbors, it just went on and on and on and on and on and on. And when the funeral was over, I, the pastor, was mingling with the gathered people, offering condolences and so on and so forth, until I met the dead woman's caretaker. She was wearing scrubs, having already moved on to a new client, and she was only able to get away for about an hour for the funeral. So we chatted and we exchanged some brief and clever little pleasantries with each other until she said, you know what's strange, preacher? Having to sit there and having to listen to a whole bunch of people talk about how perfect she was because she was one of the meanest human beings I've ever met in my life. She treated me worse than dirt. And I just stood there, stunned, unsure of how to respond. And then she said, but it's a good thing we worship a God of forgiveness. Right, preacher? A God of forgiveness? I have this sign in my office upstairs that says, live your life so the preacher won't have to lie at your funeral. It's pretty funny. It's witty. It's, you know, to the point. And I think about it a lot because 
we desire our funerals to be these perfect things where we only highlight the good and not the bad, but the truth of the matter is we're all good and bad. The truth that we should be offering at funerals, the truth that we should be offering to each other all the time is we, each and every one of us, are the ungodly for whom Christ died. So this week, I encourage you to think about, even if this makes you uncomfortable, what will, say, what will someone say about you after you die? Is it all good? Is it all bad? Is it both? But more importantly, how might your life start to change right now if you take those words seriously, that we are all the ungodly for whom Christ died? How will that change the way you interact with others? How will it change the way others interact with you if we really truly believe that we, all of us, are the ungodly for whom Christ died? With that, I'd like to offer you this blessing and benediction as we go in peace. May the God of glory, God of the beginning and the end, the God of life and of death and of resurrection, help you to know, to see, and to believe that the furnace of fire waits for us all, for it is waiting for us and it is among us now, burning away all of our iniquity such that we might shine and glow in the light that is Jesus the Christ. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen. Be well, everyone. I look forward to seeing all of you next week, same time, same place. Go in peace.